you care to step outside? What do you do after this? Superman. Oh, that's right. Who are you? The last one has to compels me to reveal the truth. I'm Batman. Warning, DC and RMD contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Awesome. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to DC on RMD. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. All you have to do is search DC on RMD. I'm Michael Flores, and this is the Superman and Lois edition in the studio with me today is just steve hello steve just me hello yeah david is uh sick again oh jesus i was gonna ask for this episode discussion we will do something a little different because episodes 4 and 15 in many ways felt like a two-parter uh we're going to discuss both the penultimate and finale episodes together so there won't be much distinction as we sort through the final two episodes. It's like we're combining the the medallions. The, the oh, 14 the and 15 are the two medallions, and we're putting them together. Yeah, we're going to merge. We're going to merge We're going to merge the discussion. So the episodes that we'll be discussing, World's War Bazaar and Waiting for Superman. Yeah, so the Waiting for Superman, if I'm not mistaken, and mm-hmm. somebody will have to keep me honest, I believe that might be the title of one of the tracks on one of the Superman soundtracks. It sounds very, there's a lot of Uh, wink, wink shit. For one of the movies? Yeah, there's a lot of wink, wink shit that happened in the last couple episodes in particular where there was one-liners through the dialogue. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely wink, wink to the the fans that know the source material. Look at you, you're right. I just looked it up. Ah, ah. Uh, it's waiting for Superman. Yeah. It's from. Is it from Superman the movie? First, first one. Oh, you know what? It's a. Or is it from Superman Returns? Davis Guggenheim. I don't even know what this is. I know this from somewhere, but anyways, huh? I digress. I'll have to look it up, but I'm sure you're not wrong since <laughs> you're a Superman movie expert. It seems I, like we, I, we definitely learned that about you. I don't know if I'm a Superman movie expert. I'm yeah, more like I'm more like George Costanza, where I have copious <laughs> amounts of bullshit in my head that means nothing to most people. It's just stuck there. So, firstly, I will say the writers did a good job this season with the season's evolving narrative and myth arc. I know there were some moments throughout where we were second guessing the writing. But one thing that we came to the conclusion while reviewing these episodes this season was that we need to be patient with these groups of writers or these this group of writers because they literally do everything we're questioning within an episode or two after we voice that opinion. And not because they're listening to our show and then quickly writing. TV doesn't work that way. Those episodes were probably done way before we even started talking. It's simply the fact that we're obviously in sync with these writers. We're in the same wavelength. And I kind of like that because as we've said throughout this season, I don't think there's ever been a show that we've covered on this network, any group of hosts where we're pretty much on fucking point throughout the entire season. Yeah, it's, it's never happened. Yeah. Ever. All right. So ultimately breaking the Kent and Cushing family apart was a... 
a strategy just to bring them back together. And it made them stronger. And uh, it was an interesting writing device, but also at a literary level as well. In the way of story, you know, you're dismantling the relationships and rebuilding them in television shows are mm-hmm. great ways, in my opinion, to create a sense of sustainability. Because um, now moving forward, little will be able to break them apart. We, we broke five families in this. Yeah. The, the Cushings, the Kents, the Lanes, um, uh, the, the Irons, yep. and, and even the L's. Yeah. Like five families were torn apart through the arc of this season. And I'm not saying there won't be any melodrama again. Obviously there will be, I mean, that's the type of show this is, but, but these specific problems, we're not going to be dealing with them during the next season. That's the beautiful thing about a moment like this, like these two episodes where they completely dismantle these relationships only to bring them together and make them stronger. And moving forward, that's how this show is going to operate. And I like that because all the major characters have now brought, been brought into the circle of trust. Mm-hmm. Though I'm not always a fan of such a thing, I have said before that I'm not the biggest fan of everyone being aware of a secret identity. Mm-hmm. However, with this show and how this season was built around the white lie, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, protecting your alias and then showing that you need to trust a bit more. I mean, obviously that was a lesson that Superman needed to learn this season. He needed to learn to let go a bit and trust the people around him, trust in his support system. And that doesn't necessarily mean his immediate family. I think that was the running theme, not just the, the running theme was, wasn't even the lie. It was really around trust and trust between Lana and her husband, Lana and her kids, uh, Clark and his kids, the kids and the kids, um, you know, John Henry Irons and his daughter, Natalie, um, Lois and, and Lucy, uh, Clark and his brother, just phenomenal in terms of being able to construct all these complex web of stories and in interlocking relationships around a fundamental idea of trust. Yeah. I will say though, at the end, you know, I had a a thought in the shower today as I was reflecting on the finale, as you were washing your balls, as I was washing my balls, I was thinking about, the the fact that Clark lost his powers was so instrumental in setting up, you know, in, in the 14th episode, setting up the stage for a lot of what transpired through the finale. And when I thought about it, it was quite the MacGuffin. And it, it's the only issue I think I have uh, at, at a large scale with the season is that to push the narrative forward they had to use the ultimate MacGuffin of all, which was Clark has no powers because by Clark not having his powers, it forced the situation with Lucy and Lana or sorry, Lucy and Lois. It forced the situation with Tal having to come back to pitch in and help. It forced John Henry irons off earth to go try to save the day. It forced Jordan to attempt at one point to make his case that he could throw Clark into the sun per Clark's mother, that that apparently might work only to be told, no, it's too dangerous only to then have to go to space 
to save Tal. So it forced all these little things to occur. And that's the only problem I had with it, because if he didn't lose his powers, none of those things would have occurred. I see your point, and I can't disagree with that. However, looking at it from a slightly different perspective, I see everything you're saying, and it's all based on fact, right? That's everything we've seen. That's exactly what they did. You can't deny that. However, doesn't that work with the the theme of trust and honesty and how it is ultimately connected and solidifies our ongoing discussion on the well-intentioned white lie? Here's why it doesn't work for me. And to be clear, I enjoyed this season immensely as a Superman fan. As a storyteller, there's a big gaping hole here. If Clark lost his powers and he was on his, on death's door, and that's what really shocked Lucy into realizing how badly she had messed up, then when Tal's mission to throw Clark into the sun to reboot him of sorts... Clark couldn't breathe in space. Okay, that, okay, let's, <laughs> yes, okay. He would have fucking died. I, that I can't disagree with because I also had an issue with that. You're telling me that Superman has no powers. He's essentially human, mm-hmm. but you can take him up to space. He, he can talk in space oh, yeah. and he can be really close to the sun without dying. Correct. That bothered me. Correct. I won't his flesh, disagree with that. His flesh was burning from his person, which would have happened way before they got up there. But maybe because of his cells, his Kryptonian cells, maybe as he was approaching the sun, he was already starting to get that power, his power back, and that's why he didn't completely just dissolve into nothing. They said the problem when he was in the hospital was that he was human. I know. That's what I specifically said it. I don't know if they actually said those words. They did. Okay. Because I know that was words. I remember that was a big problem that I had last episode. I remember I went on and on about it. That like, were you trying to tell me that that Allie Olson has the ability to turn Superman human? You're messing with genetics now. I don't know if that works. And David disagreed and said it does. But then they explained i want to say in episode 14 they they gave us a little bit more on how ali's power works and they softened the blow a bit for me because it it the way they explained it it was no longer clark being human it was it drained his cells Whereas the prior episode, Lois, probably just a bad chosen word, in Could my opinion, been. that was written. Could have been. She's not a scientist of, you know, Kryptonian origin, so. Or even just the, the writers themselves were trying to give a character something to say. And in order yeah. to make it an easy, digestible conversation between two characters, she says he's essentially human. Uh, look. All I'm saying is... I think that's semantics. At the, it's right? the only issue I can really stand up and say I had with the season as a whole. Um, everything else about it, as a Superman fan, it hit all the right notes for me across the board. 
even on those those moments where we were like, eh, you know, they're really not telling us so much about this or what about that? And they always filled in those gaps, like you said, either in the next episode or the episode after that. This was just the only one that stuck out to me as a little bit of a writing hiccup that they had to rely on this one thing to stick the landing. Yeah. And I agree. But it's still stuck. Make no mistake about it. It's still stuck. What they did with it, it, it wasn't ultimately great. Having Clark in space next to the sun, yes, it feels a little silly and it doesn't quite work logically with what they had set up in the prior episode. But when you look at it from a story standpoint and what it does for the characters, um, taking us back to the thematics of the episode or even the season, the idea of trust, I liked that they removed his powers ultimately for story reasons because it helped reaffirm the notion of trust because Clark had to learn to trust the people in his life with not only a secret, but with his actual life and the safety of the world. And that's what made this, these last two episodes ultimately for me really stand out because it brought the super team together. And if Superman had all his power I don't feel like a super team up would have been a, as of a, as effective for no, the audience. I agree. But seeing how he inspires people, because that's also the point. Mm, yes. Uh, and having Natalie, John Irons, Jordan Kent all have such a vital part to play, which they wouldn't have that vital part to play if Superman was not depleted of his power. Typically, I am not a fan of removing power from our superheroes. I hate it. I didn't get into it during the last episode discussion because I didn't want to get negative and I was mm-hmm. going to wait to see what they do with it because I was, I'm trying to learn here to be patient with these writers. Mm-hmm. But I hate when writers remove, remove a superhero's power. I feel like it's weak writing for the most part. It's used because they don't know what to do with the story and they're trying to essentially kryptonite your superhero so that they can fuck with him a bit. It's a tired trope. I am not a fan of it. Comic books do it all the time. The CW superhero shows do it constantly. But ultimately at the end of the day, it wasn't about stalling for time with these writers. It wasn't necessarily even a gimmick. It was simply a way to reaffirm certain ideas and, and again, express the idea of trust. And of course the, the idea that Superman inspires the very people he is around. Yeah, and, and having just rewatched Superman Returns last week, uh, just for shits and grins, um, you know, one of the big talking points in that film is, does the world need Superman? That's what Lois in that yeah. film wins the Pulitzer for. Yeah. Um, and, and this show, even though they had to remove that his powers. That was a book written by a scorned woman, though. In that movie. Yeah, yeah. She was very pissed off. <laughs> Why the world doesn't need Superman, right? That's Isn't what that, it was. Why the world doesn't yeah, need yeah. Superman. But, you know, that's kind of what's going on here in, in the the story here because, as we found out, there he, this is not connected to the Arrowverse as yeah. we know it. Aww. This world does need Superman. Yeah. Um, he has friends who can certainly pitch in and help, but if he's not around, they're kind of screwed. And that's another aspect that just really, really worked ultimately with these last two episodes as well, because by placing Superman in that position of vulnerability, 
the writers effectively create a moment for Superman that's that's very intriguing or interesting, perhaps is a better choice of word. We get to see that he is much more than just his power. And right. this is where my thoughts feed right into what you were just saying. He's a symbol. He's a symbol of hope that supersedes just his power. The semiotics is a powerful thing. It has the ability to communicate both things spoken and unspoken. And it has the ability, as I said, to inspire. And this is how Superman is used in some of the best Superman stories out there. It's not always about his power. It's about him as a symbol of hope. Yeah. He inspires. They wish they could be, they wish to be a great people, Cal. They only need to be shown the light or whatever. They they don't wish that. Don't listen. Your father was naive. (laughs) We're all a piece of, we're all pieces of shit. We're all pieces of shit. (laughs) Selfish. So taking a closer look at these inspirational moments, or should I say the character Superman inspired, uh, Natalie and John. Mm. Though they are equally heroic in their own right, they uh, choose to sacrifice themselves because they understand what Superman means to the world. John and Natalie also attempt to blow up the portal, knowing that they will be abandoned and eventually die. Right. Hal Rowe, which I loved. I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on this, but wait one second. Mm-hmm. You have Tal Rowe picking up the mantle in order to save the earth. And it's a bit of that anti-hero-esque statement about caring only for, for Clark and his family. Uh, but to me, that brought the, the emotional value up because you have this character who is the, he is written now as the anti-hero type. Oh, yeah. And he made that statement, which is very much an anti-hero-esque way of saying things. I don't care about the world, Clark. I, I care about you I said that line your be- family. I said that line before he said it because it was predictable in the moment and it worked in a big bad way. Yeah. It, there, there's no other line he could have said. That was the line. And it's in character as well yes. because, of course, Talro doesn't care, care necessarily about humanity. It would be, it would feel weird yes. and disingenuous if they were try, if they were to try and write him that way. But what's been the single governing thread when it comes to his characterization or his story arc since day one? His family. It's always been about family. His family. And it's one hell of a Darth Vader-esque uh, redemption arc for him in yeah. a way, right? Because he did, Clark said it, you know, you came here or you, you initially. He said a year ago, he said. Yeah, a year, year ago, ago you came here to kill people. You wanted to destroy this planet and and here you are wanting to save it. And what I, I liked about it, it, it really worked for me yeah. when I had, you know, you, you had issues with Tal Rowe, not as a character, but you didn't really right. want him to outwear his welcome. Right? I did. I didn't. Yeah. I had doubts of how long we could uh, make him useful as part of the story. Mm-hmm. But for him to go out in the way that he did and then ultimately choose before the world's went their separate ways, however, that worked out. Um, he opted to go to the other Earth. Because he could be their Superman, whether he chooses to be hopeful or not, it, it, who knows? We may never get to see what happens with that, right? But he chose to be that world's Superman because on that world, both Superman and Tal are gone. 
So he yeah. can be he can fill that void however he decides to fill it, knowing how Tal is. He's probably going to have a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> he's going after Lana. Uh, he's all like, who's my wife? I, I, I would. I know. <laughs> <laughs> also, we had Sam Lane. Well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to skip Jordan. I love that moment as mm-hmm. well. When Jordan, you know, swooped in at the last minute to save Tal Rowe. But when he came back, when he came back with Tal, mm-hmm. you know, the big concern was, Jordan, you can't take your dad. You can't, you know, it's too risky and blah, 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 blah. But then he goes to save his uncle and he flies flawlessly to, up to get him in space. Um, and in fact, he hits what's her nuts first, grabs Tal, brings him back. And the, the thing that crossed my mind when he got back, even Jonathan came up and kind of gave him the brotherly pat on the back, like, good mm-hmm. job, man. I don't know if, about you, dude, but like if it was me and I just f- flew properly for the first time, because if you recall, he didn't do so well the first couple of times he tried. Yeah. If I went to fucking space, I don't think I would be able to stop talking about what I just witnessed. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of a, what's going on around me. Especially as a 15 year old. As a 15 year old, I'd be like, bro, I was just in space, <laughs> in space. <laughs> Yeah, and all those moments created that superhero feeling that we talked about it last did. episode. You felt the exhilaration and the excitement through the eyes of these characters. Yeah, well, even the last, you know, episode 14, when um, Jonathan, or sorry, Jordan, had to step up and try to fight against Bizarro Jonathan and Bizarro Lana. There was multiple times throughout that episode where I was clapping out loud like an idiot with Nicole sitting in the room next to me, I'm sure thinking, what in the hell is he doing in there? Because I was literally like going, woo, you know, like cheered at the screen. Cause there were so many good moments in that where you see him start to take ownership of his powers and try to be the hero, really use them the way that his father uses them. Yeah. So that, that excites me for go forward. Um, what I was a little disappointed in by comparison <laughs> was the celebration at the end and everybody's happy and they're having their little, you know, town square uh, hoopla. And, you know, everybody's having a good time. Jordan's coming clean with Sarah and, and she's very accepting and understanding of why he had to keep the secret, right? That Which was a great little moment between the two of them. It looks like they might get back together. That's awesome. Well, that's another thing we have been talking about all season. Yeah. Like, why is she so, like, irrational? How come she's not being patient? And literally, she apologized for the mistakes that she made. Incredibly mature. we've been asking her to do yes. all season. And an incredibly mature moment for a person of that age, right? And But by comparison, you have Jonathan over there with his drug dealing whore of a girlfriend. Listen, some some of us will never learn our lessons with the women's with <laughs> the women's with the nothing. women we choose. Okay? Just it, it is what it is. He's not learning nothing. <laughs> no, he's not. If I was Clark and Lois, they're a little too liberal with their parenting. Like listen, I'm a liberal guy, but if my son just a couple weeks ago got in trouble for doing drugs with her, with the his drug dealing girlfriend, I'd be like, "Listen, I I'm going to I forgive you. I understand you're a kid." But this girl is not going to be in your life anymore. She's fucking trouble. Yeah, she's trouble, dude. And they got their brand new lifted pickup trucks. He's going to be out there in the cornfield banging her in the back of that thing. She's going to knock her out. Listen, we all know what a... We used to remember what a 
what it was like being 15 years old. If we had a car with a big ass bed in the back, she's getting banged you know, out. First in thing it. we're thinking about is, Oh Jesus, this is going to be a great for, for sex time. It, that's all he's thinking. That's, that's it. I mean, Jordan can take Sarah up into space you know, and then yeah. she dies. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have sex in space. Oh, oh, you didn't last very long. <laughs> All right, so Sam Lane and his inspirational and heart-touching speech to Jordan and John about Superman, which not only just hit the feels, but it served to continue the idea of how Superman affects the people around him, but also we got a clear statement, and this is the most important part, a clear statement that we are, in fact, not in the Arrowverse. Thank God. Now, Sam said, I quote, I've been working for the DOD for a long time, I've seen things you would not believe, glimpses of other worlds and the leagues of superheroes they have on them. And even though we only have your father on this planet, thank God that we do because he's the finest of any earth. That entire phrase, particularly the beginning of it, the way in which it was written Mm -hmm. brought memories of Blade Runner at the end with Roy's closing dialogue. Of I've seen things you people that's right believe it it was very well written I think it was probably a wink to that but yeah I mean he came right out and said I've seen these things we don't really fully appreciate or understand how but we know that they don't exist here except for Diggle Diggle exists and I'll tell you what Diggle needs to keep that hairstyle because it was working yeah it was working for him dude I was digging that yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this reveal a little bit more because Todd Helbing finally gives us the the dirty deeds on a lot of this stuff because he's been playing Koi all season mm-hmm. and he expl- not all season. He's been playing Koi for two seasons and he even calls himself out and all but apologizes for fucking with the fans. And he says from day one, there were questions of how we were connected to the Arrowverse. If you go back to the first script that got sent to Warner Brothers in DC, it had a lot of references to other heroes like The Flash. There were moments when we were shooting, and I think I've said this before, but there was a photo of Kara on Lois's desk at the Daily Planet. All of that stuff got slowly pulled out, and the more we did that, the more it became a can of worms to even mention it. So why didn't we get this big speech sooner? He says, DC and I had a conversation during season one, and the decision to keep Superman and Lois separate was made then, but I couldn't make it public until the end of the season. Uh, Hell being explained, so when I got all these questions in previous interviews, I knew what we were doing, but I could never talk about it. It got a little frustrating on my end, but I totally understand DC's position. So this put that to rest. He's all I've said from the beginning that we want to put our own stamp on the Superman property. This wasn't meant to alienate us from the Arrowverse, but because of a lot of other shows are sadly no longer going to be on the air. It felt like the right thing to do. And he's right. It was a good call. Yeah. We, we saw that they could bring in other characters that can hold their own in this universe that we have this Superman in. We just couldn't have the type of story that we were getting because if there were other superheroes around, they would show up and assist and it would take so much away from what they're trying to do. Yes. And think about how many times we watched any of the other Arrowverse shows and particularly after crossover events had Mm -hmm. occurred, 
when something would pop up and we would always say, why don't they just call Barry or why doesn't he right. just call Oliver or, or whomever or call Kara? Like there was so many instances of that and it actually detracted from those shows and the stories they were telling because it didn't make sense. Yeah. And that's what Helbing also says. He says that we had to create essentially a doppelganger of the Superman everyone saw in the crossover via the Arrowverse. And he says, I understand why everyone has been wanting the references, but it just felt wrong. Yeah, I agree. I ultimately, th ultimately think it was probably the best thing they could have done for this show. It really was. Now, you bring up John Diggle, and of course we saw him last season. So we know that he is included in this universe, but also Oliver does because we can't forget that Diggle did bring up Oliver last season. He yeah. used him as a way to express some thought on sacrifice and no longer fighting as a superhero. So there's a little contradiction there. Maybe there, there that is. episode was written before they really made a decision. It, it could have been, but you yeah, know, it, but you know what? You get the idea that Oliver is dead or, or had his day and retired for whatever reason. It, hung up the hood. Right. Yeah. So his comment, in my opinion, doesn't break the show. I know there are people out there that were mad with this interview from helping saying, you were fucking with us this whole time. This should be a part of the Arrowverse. How dare you? I'm talking some serious, passionate people out there that wanted this to be a part of the Arrowverse. And they mentioned this whole Oliver thing. And I don't think it's a, a big deal because you can easily interpret it in so many different ways. It, it, I, I don't see it as being a big deal at all. No. Um, if nothing else, again, Oliver was a flippant comment or uh, through dialogue it could be, you know, written out for any number of ways. It's, it, it sets the stage that if this show continues for multiple seasons, you can bring it, and it doesn't have to be the Oliver that we know. It, it doesn't have to be those people. And it almost allows you to let Superman and Lois be a springboard to actually launch a proper connected universe if they wanted to do that. Yeah, they do need to be careful because we don't want Arrowverse 2.0 and then things start falling off the fucking wagon, which is what happened with the Arrowverse. That's why ultimately I quit watching those shows. Yeah. Not only were they, I, the quality just dipped across the board, but just these crossovers, they hurt the other shows. I know people probably hate me for saying that because a lot of people watch shows sheerly for fan service and not for story. I watch TV for good storytelling. I watch for both. And so as, as, a, as you know, as a fan, don't get me wrong. There, there, uh, are, there right. are things that I watch just sheerly for shits and giggles and I don't put a lot of thought into it, but something like this, I want a, a, a well-told story and when you have crossovers you have to worry about and you have those questions of well how come Kara didn't show up right right it, it just hurts and it drags your narrative down needlessly it, it did on all of those shows now I enjoyed a lot of those not all of them but I enjoyed quite a few of those crossovers but I, I do agree not connecting it was um not only smart, but arguably a little brave because of the bullshit he's taken over it or, yeah. you know, he and Warner brothers and DC in general. 
Also, keeping with the Diggle stuff a bit more, uh, during the denouma, the final moments of the episode, we saw Diggle approach John Irons, who essentially recruited him to investigate why Bruno Mannheim and Intergang killed the John Henry of this earth, which I did get a little excited about this. This is beyond my knowledge. I, I didn't even think to Google it. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of intergang, but I'm glad that they're addressing this mystery because we've been talking about that since season one. Well, how did he die? Are we going to actually delve into this John Henry? Because last season when John Henry was braving family when, before his daughter showed up, he was seeking out the, the sister of this world of this earth. Right. Right. So obviously they decided to, Ixnay on that idea because they never actually went in that direction. But mm -hmm. now it looks like that will, in fact, be a part of the story. Now, a part of me is happy that that John Henry is going to be investigating the death of the other John Henry, essentially, and and enter gang. But we just managed to sweep away the fragmented story arcs mm -hmm. by bringing everybody under the the banner of 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 the circle of trust knowing who superman is P pretty much every single one of our top tier characters now know of clark's secret and that will help with the fragmenting of story arcs and keep things revolving around one core concept so that's the only thing if they manage to keep it as the bigger story as well or at least bring is bringing it back together, then I'll be okay with this. But if this is like a parallel narrative that never really connects to the main story pertaining to Superman and his family, then we're going to have a mess. Well, you know, so what's interesting to me about that is it does allow them to take John Henry and Natalie out of the loop um, for a little while to let the core cast, um, start a new arc in season three. And so maybe we don't see him for a little while and that's okay. But what could be interesting about this is, you know, we found out that he worked for Lex on his earth. And if he, in his investigation of what happened here, we get our introduction of this Earth's Lex, um, because Lex was part of, uh, the new gods. And if Lex had him killed, um, cause the new gods apparently had supplied the inter, what are they called? The inter, inter gang supplied them with weapons and whatever it could, it could tee up a season three arc of who the big bad is through his investigation. That's what I'm hoping for, because if you look into what Intergang is in DC Comics, it is a storyline that is very closely connected to Superman as well. Intergang is an organized crime group appearing, obviously, in DC Comics, armed with technology supplied by the villainous new gods of the planet Apocalypse. So this is, these are top tier villains here. Yeah. These aren't C-level villains we're dealing with. These are top tier villains. The leaders of Intergang, Darkseid, Bruno Mannheim, Lex Luthor, and Moxie Mannheim. Now, I'm not familiar with Moxie Mannheim, and I, 
have to imagine here that most people are familiar with Lex Luthor and Darkseid. Correct. Forget the man Manheim for a second. Darkseid and fucking Lex Luthor. If we are going in that direction eventually, then yeah, I, I, that's awesome. I don't think we, I, I, you know, I would want multiple seasons before we even of consider course. a dark side. Yes. But if this is leading, but if this is leading that, through Bruno mm-hmm. to ultimately get to Lex, because if Bruno, Bruno is somehow the, the big bad for season three and ties to Lex by the end of it or somewhere in the middle, it, it sets a, a couple of stepping stones to get us to where we need to go. I will say though, at some point, I really want somebody to do a proper Brainiac story of the Brainiac that I want to see. Did which, you watch, was it called, Krypton? On I did not. Sci-fi? I did not. I thought their Brainiac was fucking cool. So my Brainiac is the one that was just re-featured in that awesome set of comics that just came out that, that you let me borrow, which was the Superman movie continuation. Yeah, um, 79 Superman, yeah, 79. Superman 79, where we saw that Brainiac in that universe. Yeah. And that's the Brainiac that I grew up with was the robotic yep. looking skeleton. That one's just so striking visually for me. I want to see that one brought to life proper. And I'm assuming the one in Krypton was not that Brainiac. Yeah. Um, but if they're moving into the direct, in the direction of intergang, maybe we get there. Maybe we I don't can. Know. It's not like it's out, it's out not of the, out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah. So, but they're giving us enough, uh, enough, uh, stepping stones here to set up multiple seasons that if they keep doing what they just did with seasons one and two, it has a long road ahead of it. Pretty cool. I'm excited for season three for sure, especially after that, you know, just the way the season ended and then the, the mention of Intergang. I thought that was cool. And what, how did you feel about when the worlds were merging? So I will say from mm-hmm. a special or a visual effects standpoint, you know, we kind of dogged on uh, 13 a little bit here and there. We've dogged on some visual effects here and there. But they saved their ducats for the final two, especially the, the final of the universe. Was yeah, cool. yeah, it was some of the best visual effects I think you could ever have wished for or seen. Also, on, an easy effect, you know, it's, it's, it is. But just the CGI and the 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 visual effects as a whole is some of the best you've ever seen on network television. You know, sure, you can look to what's going on with HBO or even on Disney Plus. I consider that a little bit different because of the pockets that's backing that those um, streaming services. And yes, it's still Warner Brothers backing DC and whatnot on HBO Max, but it's kind of different. It's not network primetime television. We're willing to ignore some of the less stellar effects because we understand the budget that this show has and the fact that the writing is is well done. But they were, no, we're doing, not, we're not looking, but we're they not were over, doing yeah. some good stuff in this. That was really top tier visual effects in CGI. And it's not just that dude. It's also the combined directing of those scenes. It, it was brilliant. I thought it was, it was so good because mm-hmm. the, the, during the process of this blipping, they did such a great job building the suspense mm-hmm. and the dread that the people around them and e- I'm going to, I'm going to say something probably controversial here, but obviously we know 
the blip from Infinity War, right? Yeah. And yes, that was a sad ending to that movie, but it was more of an intimate removal of people. We saw people disappear. We all knew it was going to happen at that point. We understood that they they failed. This, I felt, was better in the way of creating a feeling because they created a very fear. Yes. They created the dread needed to sell those scenes because Mm -hmm. of the good directing, because of the great acting and the way they did it, you know, removing Lois from her children, the children, you know, concerned with their mother, then Lois losing her father. I mean, and then Kyle, I felt bad for that guy, you know, lost in another universe, desperately trying to find his family. We focus more on the actual effect of them losing yep. the ones around them. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. Of all the things that we saw transpire in that in that finale, um, were you a little bummed that Kyle didn't get marooned on the cube planet? <laughs> nah, you know what? This final episode, I he won me over because I just felt bad for him. He was a he's a good guy who made a mistake. He's extremely flawed. But how can you hate someone who loves his family more than anything? Yeah. And even Lana grabbing the kids to go look for him. You can see that there's still a spark there. But I I will say, even though I felt bad for him, I am glad that things aren't all right between them because it would have felt a little too perfect. They got to work on it. Yeah. That's what we have to see in season three. We have to see them potentially try to repair that lack of trust that's been broken, you know, um, or that trust has been broken. And that could be really interesting. And I think they've earned our respect and trust as an audience. Yeah. They're not going to make it 90210. <laughs> right. And we also had the moment where Superman creates a new fortress of solitude in the middle of the ocean. I kind of had a little bit of a problem with that only in that, I kind of knew where it was going, right? Yeah. When he said, hey, uh, we're, we're going to go somewhere. I just naturally assumed that they were going to go back to Antarctica or the Arctic Circle um, and, and, and and do something there, right? But they were clearly, I'm assuming, in the Southern Hemisphere. It kind of looked that way. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, not really bundled up, but clearly where it was still pretty chilly and his ass is just going to throw that little crystal into the ocean. Um, don't you think seafaring vessels transporting goods are going to potentially Titanic into that motherfucker? Okay, so yes, there's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna need to be some more explanation behind the geographical location that he chose to put his fortress because in the comic books they explain it a little bit better. So I'm I'm hoping. They do the same thing in the show because, yes, that's the first thing I thought about. But in the comic books, he has, and I'm sure you're aware of this, he has various different fortresses throughout the run of the Superman comic. He, The most popular one is the, the Arctic one, the one that's been in the movies, right? Right. But I want to say currently in the comics, he has an ocean, an ocean fortress. Under, under the water? Partially underwater. I want to say it goes all the way to the bottom. It's very deep. It's, I'm it, sure Aquaman want, doesn't like that. Well, he's intruding. <laughs> I want to say he builds it above a trench so that it can go really far into the depths of the ocean. Okay. 
they do need to specify and give the audience a little explanation because where is this at? Obviously, we know there are places within the ocean that are still remote where people don't even cross for decades. That's why I was thinking it had to be near the the Antarctica because yeah. there are ships that travel down from South America, right? That's one of the shipping or the the, the ship routes. Shipping lanes, yeah. Uh, um, one of the shipping lanes, but also one of the ship routes to to get to Antarctica is from um, the southern tip of of South America, and so it has to be somewhere out of the ways of all of that stuff. Um, but you know, if I'm Superman, dude, you know where I'm building a, a fortress in New York city. <laughs> yes. On Avengers tower. <laughs> Just drop that little thing. What was it? The, he had the little, uh, it looked like a fucking vibrating egg. Like women use, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just drop that in the sewer in New York and let it grow. No, I, I would set up shop on the moon. You know what? I, Think in the comic books. Why wouldn't you be on the moon? You know, Batman has a cave in the moon and Superman ha- does have a fortress in space. I want to say that's where I would put it. Even if it was on a, on an asteroid, something that was in asynchronous orbit with the earth, I would, I would just, I because would, that's out of the way and it's very out few of the people way. would ever have access to it. Correct. Yeah. It would be out of the way. You still are, you know, an earshot away. You, you got super speed, which by the way, when he started flying around the earth before he smashed into the earth and did what he did, <laughs> I was clapping because I thought oh. that motherfucker was going to reverse yes, time. I did too. I was like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. But then a part of me was also like, please do this. You know, they did that on purpose. You know, <laughs> oh, that for sure. they did that in for people like us going, he's going to reverse yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Overall, this episode or these last episodes were fun. They were well-developed, good acting, good visual effects for the most part. I did have some, I know you were talking about the visual effects and during the whole blipping scenes, I had no problems with that. The airplanes flying through the sky, the crashing of vehicles. That was great. But some of the space battles and the scene with the sun, it it was bad. Like I sure it was bad. And I, and I, and I feel guilty even saying that about a show that I like. So I'm just going to leave it at that because why harp on something that that's beyond their control? They can't control this. No, there's only so much money they're yeah. going to be given for a budget to pull this off. And given that we know they have that kind of monetary constraint. Yep. I think they did very well with what money they had. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So why don't you give me your final thoughts on the season as a whole and your score for the final two episodes? So uh, overall, I'm I'm happy as a Superman fan. I I you know I'm sure there's fans out there that are nitpicking of the accuracy of this relative to the 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 source material. However, unlike other adapt adaptations we've seen of comic book films or TV shows that try to adapt the source material, they've done it in a way I don't think we've ever seen from any IP. To this extent where they've taken the pieces that we're familiar with and mixed them up in such a new and creative way um, that had us not only uh, hypothesizing and guessing, but hoping to see things and then being surprised and not in a bad way. That takes remarkable writing skill to pull that off. And again, I'm sure people are, are pissed about it. Whatever. I enjoyed it. 
I enjoyed it from uh, just from an overall, you know, take Superman out of the equation and you just look at strictly the storytelling. We've we've talked about it throughout both seasons, just this family unit, the the atomic family and and how that's worked for them has just been amazing for them, for the Langs, or I, I guess we should call them the Langs, the, the Cushings. Um, it's just incredible. So I, I'm very happy with how it ended. I'm excited for season three. For me, episode 14, I think I'm probably going to score it at probably like an 88. Um, and I'll give, I'll give episode 15, the finale, a, a solid 89. Um, overall, for a season... I would give it a 92 for a Superman show. Like for me as a season, um, I got my money's worth, even though I didn't spend any money. <laughs> I think that works actually with your general score throughout the season. It, it, it's a solid show. And I tell people all the time that I know through work or through friendships, whatever that are into these types of shows you know, everybody talks about the ones that they're familiar with, the Marvels or, yeah. or whatever's on HBO or what, you know, the whatever. The most talked about. The most viral, talked about, yeah. yeah. And this is kind of this sleeping hit that not a lot of people are even familiar with. And I tell people all the time, go watch it. Go watch it. Even if you're not a Superman fan, go watch it because it's a really good comic book show. Yeah. I think it's a good family show. I, I would agree. You no, know, and um, I mean... I listen, not everyone likes Superman stories because they shouldn't be a dark story. Sure. You can have dark moments, but for the most part, this is the proper way you tell a Superman story. You walk away. There is hope. Yes. There is optimism. That is Superman. You walk away feeling uplifted. Yeah. For me, overall, the season was just fine. I still feel like the first season was probably better, but not by much. The second season was, was fun. I'm glad that we learned to be patient halfway through when we realize that they're doing exactly as we have asked, you know? So I do like that. Um, the stories all came together, bringing Lana's family into the fold and also bringing uh, Beppo in as well. It eliminates a lot of the unnecessary aspects of of writing and drama that's just not needed anymore with these lies which makes a perfect clear board to tell your story on for next season uh, i like how this season feels like the closing of a chapter and now we're starting yeah. a new chapter so i do like that as well i'm gonna give these episodes uh, an 89 for episode 14 and a 90 percent for episode 15 but i have no complaints yeah, I, I, so the only complaint is um, fucking Tyler needs to get into the gym. Yeah, and and not okay. because he's out of shape. I mean, the guy is a good-looking dude, and he's obviously in shape. But we got to get rid of that costume this season. Just yeah, it, it's bad. Either hang out with Hemsworth, or you know, become gym buddies, or or start shooting needles in your butt. To uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with steroids. Just do it. Yeah, do something. Um, you know, I obviously enjoyed the hell out of the first season. There was some really, really good shit that happened in that in terms of building and developing these characters, especially with the kids. I, I think my nostalgia for the source material that they pulled from for this season 
I like this one more because really? of, because of that nostalgia. Okay, just because interesting. It, they pulled from all the stuff that we grew up on. That's true. And yeah. so I, I, I mean, I still have all those books from when I was a kid. And so for me, that that was that's Superman, and still having the nods to the the films that we grew up. So yeah. And moving forward into season three, I hope the writers maintain the quality of writing and also continue to not feed into uh, to fan wants. Do not start feeling that you need to write for fans and that you need to write with multiple iterations of fan service in order to keep your ratings up because that is ultimately why a show will fail. I would agree. So keep doing Don't pander. what they're doing. They have to keep writing their story, the story they want to tell. And every interview I hear, essentially that's what Hellbeing is saying. That's what I hear. Mm. That this is what we wanted to do. This is what we thought would make for a better story. And so far he's been right on every account. Mm-hmm. I have confidence in this showrunner and I don't have confidence in social media. So he should not be listening. <laughs> yeah. And I don't look what we look. This is a show that's not listening to social media, Steve. And I know. this is why it is enjoyable to watch. I agree. I agree. You know, I, we had this discussion during some Patreon exclusive show about listening to fans. And I want to say Ryan or Thomas, which Listeners out there don't know who those gentlemen are. They're just other hosts on the network that uh, help out with other shows. But they were talking about the need to understand fans and what they want. And I said, sure, if they don't understand the IP, then the fans are probably not going to like it. And the writer should probably not have that job. But going to the fans isn't something a writer should ever do. And that's why I, I groan and frown when I see these writers so actively involved with the fans on social media. But being cordial and polite and thanking them for their support and communicating with them is one thing. But taking ideas, which we've seen writers actually do. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not just making shit up. We've actually seen this happen on multiple shows on the CW specifically. And it, unfortunately, it is a, a trend that you see across the board. You see it happen with movies as well, where fans don't like a trailer. So the director talks to them and, well, what changes do I need to make? I'm like, well, dude, this it, is your fucking movie. Well, and if you had that mindset, I know what you're going to say, Steve. Hold on one second. <laughs> if you had that mindset, okay, 15, 20, 30 years ago, we would not have gotten the Star Treks, the Star Warses the Jurassic Parks, the Terminators of the world. We wouldn't have gotten 89 we, Batman. It, we, yes, we would not have gotten some of the greatest films. Trust in the creators. And if they happen to put out a dud, then so be it. Let's skewer them. But for the most part, <laughs> let's let them do them. their job. I, I, I would agree. I think it, it becomes a slippery slope for a showrunner or a writing team or anybody that's producing... I don't care what it is. If it's the the physical comics that people are reading or the films people are producing. Um, we have it's, decades of quality cinema and television where the fans were not involved. We don't need 
fan involvement in stories. No, it's a, I will say it's a double-edged sword. And the reason I say that, though, Mike, is because, you know, think about how many films when they do the test screenings, right? That's different. They learn from those test screenings. Yes. That's an important and, process. That's different. Yeah, yes. and, and they've got to tighten things up or yeah. edit things out and, and fix the pacing and things of that nature. And that's, that's what those I test agree. screenings do. That's different, yeah. But it's different than if I was writing a, a comic – that was an ongoing publication and I'm constantly on social media trying to keep my finger on the pulse of that one. That's going to drive you mentally batshit as a creator. Um, it's going to make you second guess yourself, whether it's verbally publicly or every morning when you look in the mirror and feel like you have imposter syndrome about what you're doing as a profession. Um, and the same thing holds for anybody making film or whatever. Just tell your story and the people that it resonates with will keep coming back. Now, the flip side of that is at the end of the day, these things are products. And in order to, to have a successful product, whatever that product is, you have to know your audience or know your user. And, and if you don't, you shouldn't be even hired to do that job. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with that. I'm not saying there shouldn't be any type of consensus. I mean, that would go against decades and decades of proven ways to market your product. So, yes, I'm, I'm for consensus. I'm not for social media trolls dictating writing development. No, it's like writing. the world's worst focus group. And a focus group <laughs> is a terrible way to yeah. design or, or develop a product. Don't yeah. do a focus group. <laughs> yes. All right, so this does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone for sticking with us throughout the season. I also apologize for the late episodes. I know we've been delayed a few times throughout the season, but unfortunately it was unavoidable. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Michael. Who are you, bitches? Mother of God! Would you look at the time when you came here? You had an hour. Now it's less.